Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, and welcome to episode three of Hire the Smile, the Oculus Insights podcast, all things related to human resources and veterinary practices. I'm Mike Panel, and as always, joined by Katie Arterline, our human resource specialist. Hi, Katie. Hey, Mike. You just came back from vacation, Mm -hmm. so a little Mm -hmm. bit of jealousy, but how was the transition back into work after a long uh, few days away? wasn't too bad, honestly. We had that uh, civic holiday three-day weekend in Canada this past weekend, so it did make things a little bit easier. I had that extra day to sort of make sure life was organized before plunging back into work, so it went really well. I mean, too many people, and that could probably be a podcast subject itself, is the transition. I know so many people that get so stressed after a vacation mm. knowing what's waiting for them, so it, it ends up being, a, a, vacations end up becoming very synonymous with stress with a lot of people. Yeah, and honestly, this is the first one that I've taken in a while where I was really happy with sort of where everything was when I left, so it wasn't necessarily weighing on me, and I wasn't dreading the return, so okay. that was nice, Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember talking to some, a lot of colleagues in, in the United States, and they're like, what's this long weekend you have in <laughs> August? Why? I'm like, I have no idea. They're like, what's it called? I'm like, I have no idea. I said, just take it. <laughs> we just like long weekends in the summer in Canada. Yeah. The summer yeah. is so short, we just take advantage of it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the weather was a bit sketchy, but it still was a long weekend, so that's yeah. good. So we're talking about, as usual, uh, Katie selects an article, I select an article, and we talk about it. And then we'll do our wins and fails in human resources. So uh, we typically get a theme. And the one I uh, found was an article from uh, Medium, um, which is a great resource for just original writing, different subjects, different people, um, you know, some of questionable merit. (laughs) Others have good insight. And uh, let's call this one, we'll call this in the middle. So this one is titled, and the links will be in the podcast notes, four things my new manager did that made me quit. What not to do when you become a new manager. And this one really resonated with me because of a couple things. One is we have seen so often when people promote from within, and that's often the case in a veterinary practice. So somebody could be receptionist or an LVT, RVT, and then they're put into a new role and they're not, they're put into this new role, a management role without any kind of training and sort of people then have their own preconceived notions of what a manager is. Mm-hmm. So you can almost have their inside voice going, okay, I'm a manager. I got to tell people what to do. Yeah. And that often doesn't work out really well. And so in this story, the author talks about the business that she works in. One of her colleagues, co-workers, becomes a manager. And these are the four things that this person did that really annoyed her. Mm-hmm. So number one is don't start treating people differently. And so she relates that prior to this person becoming a manager, they were good friends, they were great colleagues, uh, considered her friend, teammate. And then once she became a manager, she, as she says, I could see her checking the boxes in her one-on-one meetings and just forcing a social banter. And instead of the great debates and discussions on projects and ideas, it became much more rigid and formal. And all of a sudden, this person wasn't themselves anymore. They weren't an authentic person. Mm-hmm. Have you seen these in any of the practices that you spend time at? Uh, I don't know that it, it has necessarily been as 
as abrupt of a change as that. I think, you know, when I hear something like that, I think what kind of uh, direction is the new manager getting from above as far as what her responsibilities are? And uh, I feel like she needs to be cut a bit of slack. That's just my empathetic self who has been put in roles where I didn't know what I was doing either or was very new. But I think definitely it happens. And, and really, sometimes, honestly, it depends on the person that you choose to be that manager. You know, if you choose somebody who you know is self-aware and who um, you know is going to be somebody who is going to be really looking out for the team, that's one thing. I mean, their instincts on empathy and, and how to be a leader, not just a manager, uh, might be very strong already and they just need kind of hands-on direction. Whereas if you choose somebody who has just been there for a long time uh, and then all of a sudden they're a manager and they might just be like, oh, well, this is where I get to sit back and just kind of do my nails and uh, and direct everybody. That's different. So I think uh, I definitely seen it happen, but it really depends on the selection of, of who is in that role and what kind of uh, direction they're getting from above from leadership. Right, right. And I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about your article. For sure. The second point uh, she gave is don't implement a bunch of new processes. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're the manager and it's like, ah, now I have the power to do things the way I thought they all should have been done. <laughs> and they just say, okay, now starting tomorrow, we're going to do it this way, this way, this way, without any consultation with the team. It's just very one direction. This is how we're going to do it. And it just, whoa, what happened? Um, and, and I think, you know, we could probably always find ways to being more effective or efficient in how we're doing it. And this reminded me of an article that was in our, our newsletter, our biweekly newsletter, Insights by Oculus, that's will be partnered with this podcast when it's released. And that is, you know, there's a great article from Harvard Business School mm-hmm. on using the people within your organization to help you be better whether it's Mm -hmm. processes, how you handle clients, how you produce, service something. And they use some great examples. And I just, I thought of that article when I was reading this one, and that is, boy, you lose so much of your ability to make great effective change if you don't include others in the decision-making. John Cotter has the probably the seminal book on, on change management. And one of the steps is involve others. If people are part of the solution or the creation of a new process, they're more engaged and more accepting uh, other than somebody just from top down saying, all right, as of tomorrow, we're doing it this way. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the people who know best about what's working and what's not working for any particular job role are the people who are doing it. Uh, so absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it seems crazy that people wouldn't involve the people, the incumbents in the positions, but it definitely happens. And I think another time that we might see this is when you bring in uh, a manager into uh, a clinic or a, a practice or a hospital that hasn't necessarily had a manager before, uh, but you bring in an experienced manager who has had uh, management experience elsewhere and they come in, they're like, okay, well, this worked at my old practice. So for sure it's going to work here. And they just like bull in a champ in a China shop, come in and really make lots of friends right away by Mm -hmm. (laughs) implementing this stuff without sort of checking in. So, uh, you know, so you've got the double-edged sword of all of a sudden we have a manager because obviously we've been doing things wrong all along, you know, that assumption. And then this manager's coming in and and messing everything up. So uh, definitely that's something that, uh, that we've seen that we need to be aware of. You know, that reminds me of a, a funny story. So probably about 15 years ago, we were advertising to get a new manager. Um, our company was young. 
I was lost. Let's get a professional manager. And I remember once this, and I just, I remember it so vividly because she came in, she spent some time, it was a working interview and I was touching base with some of our staff and going, what do you think? And they're like, uh-uh. I'm like, why? I said, as soon as you, you know, left the room and she spent a little bit of time, she's like, well, I can see where everything is wrong. And when I get my hands on this place, I'll make it work. Oh boy. And everybody's like, we don't want her. We don't want her. <laughs> yeah, no, not a popular personality. That's for sure. No, 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 no. So the third point is don't allow caution to ruin the trust in your team. And that is, okay, now I'm a manager. I got this promotion. I got, you know, I got some more money and I got this new responsibility and I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to jeopardize this. So everything, I'm, we're just not going to change, which is probably the opposite of the other one of, you know, starting to introduce all these new processes, but just being so uh, stuck in, you know, indecision or insecurity, lack of training, lack of expectations from leadership above, above. but it's just, yeah, I'm a manager and we're not going to do anything. So why are you here? Yeah, that's difficult. And it's hard to know without context. But to me, that kind of screams uh, that the new manager isn't comfortable in their role enough to be able to make those decisions. And what kind of support are they getting from above, which we'll talk about more. But that's sort of I mean, but then you do have the people who are terrified of making a mistake. And you know, where I've seen that uh, is in companies where the upper management is very micromanagey, uh, despite what they might say about not being it, they, they really are. And uh, the manager's just tr- sort of trying to uh, put a fire out before it happens. Right. And the fourth and final point is, you know, don't just manage, just keep doing what you were doing a little bit as well. And just your, your role as a manager is not just to check in with the people that report to you to make sure they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. The example they gave really resonated with me because I was a little bit, a lot, <laughs> maybe not, hopefully not too much, a bit like that in the past where, you know, you'd ask people to give you a weekly report and the time that they spent preparing this weekly report could have been much better spent on actually doing productive things that would have benefited the business. And as opposed to me, who at the time was so busy and distracted, well, instead of, you know, stopping having meaningful conversations with the people that reported to me so I can understand what they were doing. I would just say, well, give me a weekly Friday morning bullet point report. And some people put a lot of work into it and I'd look at it, go, thanks and no feedback. And so it became a chore. Mm -hmm. It became meaningless. Don't agree too easily, please. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) There's no reason I'm agreeing easily or anything. (laughs) But, you know, then all of a sudden we're like, this is really not an effective way of doing yeah. it. So let's uh, let's actually stop, talk to people, understand what they're doing, offer support, but let them have trust in them to do the job that they're going to do and just don't check on them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't think that the, the report is necessarily a bad idea uh, unless you aren't doing something with it as a manager. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're if there are specific questions that are asked or... Um, things that need, you know, a decision from ownership or leadership on, then you absolutely have to follow up with that because you're right. Otherwise, I mean, it could take half a day to put this together. uh, Whereas you could have had a a conversation with the person about all of these points in half an hour. So you just have to be careful. I don't think it's bad, but it's not necessarily the best way to go. It has to be meaningful and actionable. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's just, you're just wasting people's time. Totally. Yeah. So let's move over to your companion article, because I think it really balanced uh, my article quite well. Yeah, 
So uh, the article I picked is by a gentleman called Didier Elzinga, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Culture Amp. So Culture Amp does, surprise, surprise, work on culture uh, with companies. So performance management, employee engagement, employee experience, blah, blah, blah. I don't know really much about them other than what I've seen from picking up this article. Uh, But what I really liked was the title of this article. I thought it was a great counterpoint. So the title is The Biggest Lie in HR, People Leave Managers, Not Companies. Really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, they talk about uh, the myth of that, that saying that people leave managers, not companies, which I think was first sort of put forth by Marcus Buckingham, who wrote the great, great book, First Break All the Rules, which is uh, sort of a a management development book. Uh, So that was something that he had put forward. And the Culture Amp does say, or Didier does say that there is a kernel of truth to that, but we need to sort of dig down a little bit more and figure out if, if those numbers are right, or if we're really getting the bigger picture when we're saying word manager, you know, what are we actually talking about? So um, what Culture Amp did is they uh, do a lot of proprietary uh, survey work with lots and lots of companies. So they sort of dove into their survey work that they had and, and the data that they had and uh, really looked at this question. So <laughs> what they did is actually called out Gallup. So, you know, the polling company Gallup, I guess that they, they're huge on this, this idea of people leaving managers, not companies. And what Culture Amp says, well, of course, Gallup is going to spin their data to say that because they offer management services. So <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, this sort of smaller, obviously everybody's smaller than Gallup uh, company was coming out with like gloves on ready to do battle with Gallup. It was pretty bloody HR wars there. <laughs> <laughs> so, funny. so do you have any initial thoughts before I get into the good stuff? I read it and I was like, oh, I used that line last week. And, <laughs> but as you said, there is a kernel of truth. And actually, in the case that I was referring to, it probably was the main reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I like about this article is that it has a more nuanced approach and looks at things in context. And I think, like always, there's always other opinions. There's always other sides to it. So I thought this was spot on, this article. Definitely. And I think it's just, it's important to note that like, that's, that's a really big generalization. You know, people leave managers, not companies. It's like, well, there's got to be more to the story. So this, mm-hmm. this dives into that, like you said. So they, they ran data on their employee retention information that they had. Uh, and they basically pulled out the, the fact that yes, indeed, people do leave companies because of bad managers, but that's not the only reason why, or that's not even the biggest reason why. So the data that uh, these folks had showed that people who decided to leave an organization uh, because of a manager was at uh, 12%, uh, and people who leave because of pay was at 11%. So 12 and 11% for those two factors. And then they pulled out leadership as a different thing than management. So leadership was more than double that at 28%. Uh, And then development opportunities came in with the rest. So basically 52% of the people who were surveyed said that they, uh, their decision to leave an organization was based on the fact that they didn't have development opportunities or they weren't sufficient. Uh, So I thought that was really, really interesting. Do you have any initial thoughts out of that data? Well, the one thing I liked is, you know, a lot of people assume that the reason why somebody leaves a job is because of a wage. And often mm. it is, or mm-hmm. could be. But when they say that only 11% of it 
maybe a wage is is often an easy way of saying to somebody that hey i'm not getting the development opportunities here or you know you are a crappy manager uh so it's easier to just say well you're not paying me enough mm-hmm. um, I love the idea about development opportunities because I'm thinking about that. And I know with my own vet practice, McKee Panel, we purposely work to get bigger as a larger enterprise so we can give opportunities for people within to be promoted and to, mm-hmm. to learn new skills. And, and people like our, our head of marketing started off as a receptionist. 11 years ago. I mean, so many people in our operation have moved up, which keeps on adding pressure for us to keep building too, because we, we hire great people and we want to give them opportunities. But not everybody is as entrepreneurial as I am, and they're quite content and, and to have a practice that has a great team, that has modest growth every year. And so what does development opportunities mean for a receptionist there or an LVT or even a veterinarian? As a veterinarian, you're going to be a veterinarian. So does that mean uh, more professional development, more uh, continuing education? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it as factor for like an, uh, an LVT that just says, you know what, I want to be the best darn anesthesiologist I can be, regardless of the age of the dog or cat or species or condition. I want to make sure that anesthesia is as safe as possible. So I guess that could be the personal or the development that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be a role. I mean, you at Mickey panel, that, like you said, the way that you've grown and sort of created opportunities or allowed people to create opportunities for themselves. Whereas at a smaller practice, you know, you've got a 15 person small animal practice that it's just not the capacity might not be there and the, mm-hmm. the will might not be there, but definitely, you know, talking to people and saying, well, what, what's your passion? What do you actually love about this job? Or what are we using? What skills of yours aren't we using? And can we grow uh, your current position? Or can you pick up a special project or develop within what you're doing now? I think that that's, that's just as valuable. uh, And definitely excellent uh, conversation to have with people. Because you know, you have the folks who are, you know, every year you have their performance review, or you have check ins with them. And they're like, well, I'm pretty bored. And you're not using all my skills. And you say, Okay, well, what what do you think you could do? Or what else do you want to do here? And you give them some options. They're like, Yeah, I don't want to do that either. It's like, well, you got to have some kind of effort here. (laughs) It's not all going to be on the management side. It's not, you know, beholden on management to make all those decisions for you. So that's where, you know, the importance of having one-on-one check-ins with people and really having development and being at the forefront is so important. I think that's probably part of what this article is getting at is, you know, having those discussions and, and having that growth mindset for people is very important. Yeah, I 100% agree. But I think the one thing we also have to keep in mind is as we're going on in our journey to become better managers and leaders, that maybe our behaviors from years ago could be influencing the the actions of people now. So the example you gave of going to somebody and saying, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? And they're saying nothing. And then you're like, oh, why don't they have anything? And is it maybe because two years ago they came to you with an idea and you went, nah, yeah. and you just shut them down. And so they're like, why bother? And so, totally. you know, I think we have to reflect on ourselves. And if we don't get the answers or the responses or the behavior we want, are they responding to the old you, the old me? And I think we, you know, sometimes we got to dig a little bit deeper and, and reopen doors again and reestablish trust that you can have this opportunity. I, I think a great example of this again ties into that article about the genius within your company that I was just talking about earlier. That's you know maybe a way you can get people engaged again or to have some development of. All right, team, how do we like our processes? How do we like how it's working of us admitting patients? You know. Mm-hmm. 
especially if the, this COVID world we're living in, in in curbside pickup and social distancing. All right, can we as a team figure out ways of doing things and sort of rekindle that trust, that interest that, yes, there's opportunities for them to have a contribution? That's a really excellent point. I really like that you brought that up about, you know, looking at yourself and reflecting on whether you squashed an idea in the past. And I mean, not all ideas are gems, and that's totally fine. But uh, there's a certain way to, you know, ask more questions or say, you know, can you sh- tell me how this would work? Or, or you, you know, kind of dig a bit deeper before you dismiss an idea. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the rest of this article kind of parsed the information out uh, into an interesting way. So they're talking about how uh, the level of commitment for staff, so a commitment to the company. And they found that if people have below average development opportunities, so what we were just talking about, then how they feel about their manager really doesn't make a ton of difference in their decision to leave. So, you know, maybe it's because, you know, overall leadership is bad or whatever, but it's not necessarily something that makes them leave. Whereas in companies that have above average development opportunities, there is a gap in in level of commitment for uh, how people feel about their managers. So, you know, having people below average manager rating commitment levels were at 56% or that made 56% of difference, 66% for above average manager rating. So there was some, uh, some difference there, but I think, you know, I think we need to look at the kind of overall picture of, are we offering people opportunities? Mm -hmm. And I think too, uh, it's not necessarily the manager who is the person who's responsible for creating development opportunities for people you know, what is, what is leadership doing? And, and these guys, uh, going back to their initial numbers, you know, they pulled out, they made a difference or they made a, a separation between managers and leaders when they were um, surveying why people leave companies. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, I think managers definitely contribute to how work is designed. Um, you know, that like we just talked about designing jobs around people and their strengths and their interests. Um, that's really, really important. Uh, but sometimes managers are really hogtied by what uh, what's happening above them and mm-hmm. what kind of support they're getting as managers as well. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. And, you know, you, you talk to people, we, you know, we'll go in and do an employee engagement survey. We'll do our meetings with people and you meet with people at the managerial level. And they're like, I remember one time the concept was that, you know, when I bring messages to management, it sort of just dies there. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. And then when you talk to the managers, they're like, well, when I bring it up to leadership, nothing happens. And so the management got blamed for a lack of an initiative or creativity by the leadership team. And so I think we've got to be very mindful of that. Definitely. Yeah. So the bad management can just be a symptom. Yes, that's exactly. That's really well said. And, you know, we're talking back to the idea of who you select as a manager, uh, you know, that the person who's just happens to have been there for 15 years uh, and, uh, you know, in a supportive role, whether it's a receptionist or a, a technician or a registered technician, you plop them in the role and like, okay, you go be a manager now. And even if they have the best of intentions and they have, you know, they're very self-aware get along with most people if you don't give them guidance on like how to manage or what that means for your particular clinic what is a manager what do you what are your expectations of them they're really not going to be set off on the best foot unless you as a leader like you're not you can't see appointing a manager as sort of like a you know you stuck your thumb in a barrel and that's it it has to be okay well 
the manager still needs to develop as well. And you can't forget about that. I think often we're just so happy to have a competent manager in there that we forget that they need to be developed too. So something really important to remember. We should have a podcast. Maybe we'll aim for this for the next one of just defining what is good management. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking a lot right now about what a good manager is, but I think we should spend some time just like, this is what a good manager does. This is what a leader does. And they're often very, very, there's a lot of overlap ideally between the two of them. Yeah. And that, yeah, that difference between management and leadership and small leader. I mean, we know that you and I could talk about that all day. So yes, perhaps best left for another podcast. Yeah. Cause right now I think too many people in, in management are, are, are checkbox. They just check the yes. boxes that people have done things and that's yeah. not what management is. Yeah. They're just, uh, very, um, regimented and, and you're, like you said, box checkers for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of it from the culture amp article. Um, you know, they're just, again, reinforcing that, uh, people often blame managers when they should be blaming the system. So there could also be things that are out of the manager's control, uh, that are affecting what they can offer or not offer for their employees. So that's something to keep in mind as well. A five person veterinary practice, is there really anywhere else that this person can go? So kind of keeping that in mind as well. But I think in all of this, having communication and having meetings and making sure that nobody's making assumptions uh, about why you're not being tapped to do something different or to expand your role, it's really important to make sure you're checking in with people and engaging how they're doing. Uh, You don't want to find out at their exit interview that they weren't happy with uh, the lack of development opportunities that the company had just because you're too uh, busy or had other priorities and didn't check in with them. Right. Yeah, great article. Thank you for bringing that. For sure. So wins and fails. Uh, mm-hmm, I'll go mm-hmm. first because you got a surprise, I think, for your win. But so oh, it's um, so good. All right, so I'll, I'll do I'll do my wins and fails, and they're sort of the flip side of the same thing. So my fail are I'm going to be focusing on professional sports in North America. Okay. So right now, just just for our colleagues who are maybe in Europe or elsewhere in the world, we have professional uh, baseball basketball and hockey Mm -hmm. and right now is the training camps for for professional football so my fail is major league baseball and i know what a baseball fan you are and so Mm -hmm. i don't know how you're Mm going to think about this is basketball and hockey are in a bubble they're in one location or two locations they are sequestered from the rest of the world really tight lockdowns So maybe not the best for them to have a family life or a personal life, but for this duration of this shortened season, that's what it is. Major League Baseball has said, we don't need any lockdown. We don't need a bubble. We're fine. And so they're playing. um, They're basically, even though there are no attendees at these games, there's no spectators, they're sort of living in society. And the sport has just been stymied by positives, whole teams coming up with, you know, several positives of COVID. And, you know, one of the responsibility of a, of a business is to ensure the safety of your staff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, you know, we have safety protection if we're around heavy machinery or around animals or what have you. But we need to have the same safety for our, you know, even highly paid athletes. So I really have it as a fail for Major League Baseball not doing enough to take care of their athletes, but their executives, people that work with them. Because um, when you see how many of these people are showing up with these positives, it's, it's really dismaying. And it's also dismaying um, when you hear about why and some of these, you know, the, the athletes are just like... Went to a bar. Just went to a bar, went out. <laughs> That's um, bad. 
Well, as opposed to basketball and hockey are playing in a bubble, they are being tested rigorously and there have been no positives and the sport's going on and it's working. Mm-hmm. Now, the one exception was one basketball player. They caught him just before we entered the buzz bubble where they found him at a strip club and he said he was there picking up takeout food. Right. So yeah. buffet, really good. I know where in the world does anybody go to a strip bar for food. Like I just like that was a great line. I, I give him an A for creativity, but I was like, That's no. Good. Yeah. Those are my wins and fails. Okay. Uh so my wins and fails. I'll start with fails. So a little more serious uh than what you had sort of pulled up, because to me, all professional sport is pretty frivolous. Uh so In Canada, we have a museum called the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, and it is up in Winnipeg, which is in Manitoba, which is a province uh, sort of in central west Canada, uh, where it's winter, like 11 and a half months a year. And I don't only say that because I lived there for a year and a half. But uh, basically, they built this giant, beautiful human rights museum uh, with all sorts of, uh, of displays and information and all that kind of thing. And as it turns out, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, it came to light that the employees who were doing tours at the Human Rights Museum were told to skip certain sections if it was uh, something that might be offensive to the groups that they were leading. So, for example, um, if they were leading through a group that was like uh, from a Christian school or, uh, you know, a religious group, they would say, oh, well, you need to skip over the the gay rights part. And they just like walked right by that room. I mean, this is at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Yeah, I think so, we need to keep on coming back to that. Yeah, it's, uh, I just, it kind of blows the mind. So um, at that time when those allegations came out, uh, they hired a firm to come in and do um, a report and do a review, external review. And yes, there, so it just came out yesterday that the review did find that there's pervasive and systemic racism and a toxic culture as a bonus at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Uh, and that's, I just it, it kind of despair to think that that happens at the one place where it's really, I mean, the whole point of the place is to, uh, to move away from that. So that is my absolute fail for the week, um, for the last couple of weeks. And my win is uh so there was a red lobster seafood restaurant in i think it was nova scotia and uh i should have pulled up the article so i could see exactly where but basically you know they get in a bunch of live lobsters uh on a however often that happens weekly or bi-weekly or whatever it is and um the employees noticed in the one load of lobsters recently that there was uh, a blue lobster in there which is like incredibly rare. It's like a one in a million thing. And uh, so one of the employees at the restaurant was like, uh, we need to figure something out for this lobster because it can't get eaten. It's one in a million. And the company was like, oh boy, you're absolutely right. Uh, Let's figure out what we can do. So they called um, the uh, Monterey Aquarium, which is a wonderful, lovely place that I love uh, Mm. over in Monterey, California. And they got referred to a couple of other places and as it turns out the lobster was pulled out of the boiling pot so to speak and is now living out its days at uh, a zoo or you know like a, a, a sanctuary basically for crustaceans so that's my win and like loosely related to hr the company was like on board with this the whole way so i think that's a wonderful 
PR move on their part and just as a, a human uh, move as well, I think, or a crustacean move. I think that was really good. Yeah, I like that one. Good surprise. Yeah, I like that one. I thought yeah. you might. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of that idea. <laughs> well, it's been another great uh, conversation. Thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks. If anybody has any questions or any subjects uh, they'd like us to handle, please contact us. Uh, you can get us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or you can just email us at info at oculusinsights.net. Until the next time, thank you very much. See you, Katie. All right. Bye. Bye. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.